You know, we can't begin to show up differently for our own kids if we're still pretending to be perfect people with perfect childhoods who parent perfectly 100% of the time. You know, if we haven't taken time to take a long, hard look at how we ourselves were mothered, we aren't going to be breaking any generational cycles. Mm. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Hi guys, today I am so excited to bring you an episode with Steffi Wagner from the Mother Wound Project. Right before we pressed record on this episode, Abby had to scoot out. She got a call from school, so she has to go pick up a sick kiddo. So today on the episode, you will hear Steffi and I. So Steffi is the founder of the Mother Wound Project, and it is fueled by the power of lived experience. Every member of their team not only has the relevant training and experience in fields such as psychology, psychotherapy, and program management, but also personal experience with demonstrated recovery from a mother wound themselves. We'll talk more about what a mother wound is, but I can assure all listeners that you will leave this episode being very glad you listened. Steffi, can you take us back to 2017 when you started the Mother Wound Project? How did you get the courage to talk about something that is often left unsaid? Amy, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. I am happy. Let's dive right in. So 2017, I can't believe that's been, gosh, five years ago now. It's still hard to believe this thing that started out with me sharing my personal journey of mother wound recovery in my you know, own little corner of the world that's grown into this global community of people who are coming together and healing the mother wound together. It's incredible. It's just amazing. And I'm so, so grateful to be a part of it. I think before I can tell you about 2017, I should take you back a little bit. Four years before that, so back in 2013, I was in the opposite of a good place. Uh, You knew this story wouldn't be all roses and butterflies. You already knew that. So what happened was my whole world had come crashing down around me. Really, that's what it was. And for me, that's what it felt like. So there I was, I was a new mom and I was standing for the first time ever face to face with this awful truth about my mom and our relationship that I had been denying for literally years. And I don't mean like low-key sort of denying, but like active, hardcore denying. (laughs) I joke, if there was such a thing as the big league of mommy issue deniers, I would have been in their hall of fame. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that's how bad it was. And I didn't have the excuse of saying I didn't know better either. By this point, I had done all my graduate work. I'd completed my training to be a therapist. I'd spent time in the field. And just ask anyone who's been to therapist school, 
they'll tell you that a huge part of the experience, you know, outside of all the typical stuff you'd expect, so things like studying the DSM, you know, therapeutic processes and the modalities, there's this part where your professors, who I lovingly refer to as the boss therapist, they do all the things to get you to take off your rose-colored glasses and critically examine your own childhood, your own demons, basically your own stuff, as we call it in the field. And believe me, they had it down, these boss therapists, they had it down to a science of getting you to look at your own stuff. But there was me and I resisted their noble efforts. You know, I remember thinking something amiss in my life, my childhood, absolutely not. (laughs) So my denial game, it was good. It was really good. And it was good until it wasn't. So what happened was I couldn't deny it anymore. Suddenly, I couldn't help but see my relationship with my mom for what it was. It was a charade. That's really the best way to put it. You know, my mom and I, we weren't the best friends that I'd been telling myself and smiling to everyone else about for years. Instead, I just couldn't deny it anymore that the relationship I had with my mom was conditional. It was inauthentic at best, and then unhealthy and traumatic at worst. And I was gutted by this realization. You know, if I could have run from it, I would have. Everything that I had been doing up until that point to maintain this denial, to convince myself that how my mom treated me was normal and okay. So the abuse when I was a little girl, the jokes she would make that looking back, they weren't actually jokes at all. The invalidation of my feelings, the perpetual body shaming, the manipulation so she could control me and keep me compliant and quiet, the gaslighting, the guilt trips. Anyway, all of my efforts to convince myself that these things were normal and okay, they just stopped working and I was a mess. I didn't see a way out. You know, if you would have told me back then that I would be at peace about my past with my mom today, you know, I wouldn't have believed it, not for a second. That's how much pain I was in. It was a super, super dark time. During a particularly low point, I can remember thinking, if my own mom can't love me, how could anyone else? I couldn't fathom it. Everything just felt hopeless. Thankfully, as you know, the story has a happy ending. I did not stay there. I did not stay stuck. I did the one thing that I credit today with saving me. And that is I reached out to this absolutely amazing circle of friends that I'm so, so fortunate to have. And I spoke up. I ignored these voices saying things like, "Uh, you know, keep your problems with your mom to yourself and no one cares. And, you know, you're going to look like a ungrateful whiner. And I went and I did the exact opposite. And I'm still not sure how I managed to do that, but thank God I did. And what happened was these beautiful people in my life, they came and without the slightest hesitation, they created this soft place for me to land. They took me seriously. They validated my feelings. They believed me. They told me I didn't deserve what I'd been through. They loved me through that storm. You know, I don't have the words to fully describe it, 
you know, it's the most life-changing experience of my life to date. And through that, not only did I begin to make sense of my experiences with my mom and to heal from them, I began to thrive in spite of them. So for the first time in maybe forever, I mean, unless you go back to when, you know, I was a baby, but for the first time that I could remember, I was finally my authentic self. And this heartbreak, this wound with my mom that had, you know, all too recently seemed to be the end of my story was now the thing that I discovered my true self by traveling through. So fast forward back 2017, I was the happiest I'd ever been up until that point. And I don't know what it was. Maybe I'd gotten a bit too much sleep the night before, but one cozy Sunday, I got this idea. What if I put aside the whole, what will everyone think of me? And I shared openly and honestly that I knew personally what it was like to have a complicated relationship with my mom. And then everything I'd learned from my journey in healing my mother wound. You know, what if I did that thing that you're definitely not supposed to do? And I owned in front of God and everyone, not only the pain in my relationship with my mom, but more importantly, this profound healing that I had experienced by finally ending the denial and allowing myself to go there, you know, to see my relationship with my mom for what it was and finally deal with it. And then my next thought was, what if doing this wild thing could help one person know they weren't alone, that their pain with their mom wasn't their fault and that healing is possible? So yeah, I decided it was worth potentially embarrassing the absolute heck out of myself probably because I was no longer worried like I used to be about what other people thought. So I logged in at the time. It was my personal Facebook account and I made my first post. And then from there, you know, it got this life of its own started with one person on my friends list saying my post made them not feel alone anymore with their stuff with their mom. And from there, that turned into five people, which snowballed into a hundred people, which then turned into hundreds of people. And by then I knew this was bigger than my little network of friends. And that's when I knew I had touched on an issue that was a whole lot bigger and went a whole lot deeper than I had initially understood, if that makes sense. I realized the mother wound was not just a stuffy problem. It was a global problem. And people all around the world were suffering, not just from their painful, hurtful interactions with their moms, but from this pressure that we have in our society to keep silent about it. So here we are, 2022, and the Mother Wind Project is speaking truth together to this outdated you know, mythology that it's somehow bad or wrong to acknowledge your hurt from your mom. Uh, and the healing that's come from that, it's incredible. Together, we become so much more than I could have ever imagined when I got started. We've blossomed into this vibrant, caring, supportive community of more than 40,000 mother wound survivors from all around the world. It's really such a beautiful thing, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. Wow. Steffi, that is what happens when people speak up, because what happened before your project began is that people were suffering in silence and they thought that they were alone. We find that time and time again on this podcast is that 
you know, whatever people are going through, they feel so isolated when there's so many other people that are going through what they are going through. So thank you so much for sharing that story. I'm already so captivated by this. I wanted to early on in the interview, describe what the phrase mother wound means for our listeners and give them a few examples of the types of lived experience that you and your team work with. Of course, before I dive into this, I want to say first that the mother wound, it's something that can happen to anybody. So what that means is that someone can have the mother wound, regardless of their race, age, their gender, belief system, socioeconomic status, etc. The reason I'm saying this first is because I don't want anyone who needs to hear what I'm about to say to tune out because of the misconception that the mother wound is something only certain people deal with. So when did the mother wound become a thing? The mother wound is a term that's been around for a long time now, decades at least. Adrienne Rich, she talked about it back in her writings. And then John Bowlby, you know, he was doing his work on attachment theory back in and around the 60s. But even further back than that, we know the term, or at least the concept has been around you know, for thousands of years, if not longer. And we know this because we continue to find references to hurtful mother-child interactions and the long-lasting effects of those all throughout the written record. And these were written by people who were living, you know, in various times and places all across the globe. And so what were all these people referencing? Well, they were referencing the mother wound. And to put it as simply as I can, the mother wound is all the pain someone has experienced within their relationship with their mom and the negative impacts these experiences have had on them. And this applies whether someone's mother is their mother by birth or by adoption or by otherwise. Some mother wound survivors were raised by a grandmother. And so for them, their mother wound came to them via their grandmother, you know, because she played that role for them. Then for other people, they have both a birth mother and an adoptive mother. And so their mother wound comes from both mothers. And so like I said before, the mother wound, it's not just about what you have experienced. It also includes all the coping mechanisms and other negative effects these experiences with your mom have had on how you show up both in your own life and then also in your relationships with others. So think your romantic partners, your friends, your coworkers, and then of course your own children too. You know, are you someone who say avoids conflict with your spouse, even though, you know, dealing with it sooner is better for the relationship? That might be your mother wound. Or are you somebody who fears telling your friends how they really made you feel? That could be your mother wound. The mother wound, it's different from things like depression and addiction because it's a relational wound. And what this means is that it happens within the context of relationship. And of course, this isn't just any relationship. It's what psychologists and therapists, and human development scholars, and philosophers too, have been referring to for centuries as the relationship. Because for the vast majority of us, our mother is the person we spent the most time with when we were also the most impressionable. So how could the time we spend with her, you know, with our primary caregiver, whom we are dependent upon for practically everything, 
how could that time not be critical to the rest of our lives? And I say for the vast majority of people, not because I think everyone has the same experience of having a mother or being cared for primarily by a mother, but because despite all the progress you know, that we've made as far as human rights go, the data continues to show that women parent, particularly in the early years, a statistically significant number of hours more than other parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, thankfully things are shifting and we're collectively beginning to embrace, you know, this truth that mothers are not the only ones who parent. And I know you mentioned examples of how the mother wound can show up for people. This is important because it can be really easy to assume that the mother wound looks the same for everybody or that what hurt one person will automatically result in a mother wound for another. When in reality, there are as many different mother wounds as there are people on this planet. And just like it is with any trauma, two people can experience the exact same thing, but still be affected by it differently. So for example, and this is a common one, let's say two siblings were hit by their mom as kids. The one sibling has a mother wound from that physical abuse, while the other sibling doesn't. You know, both are valid, both are correct. And here's the really important thing to take away. Your feelings about your experiences with your mom, your mother wound, these are valid. These are valid regardless of how other people feel about their experiences with their moms. You know, and this is true even if you experience something that you maybe describe as the same thing. In other words, recognizing your mother wound, it's less about comparing yourself and your feelings and experiences to others in terms of their moms, and more about allowing yourself to feel however you actually feel about your mom and how she treated you. If you feel hurt by your mom, you are hurt by your mom. It really is that simple. I want to make sure to share a little bit about the people we support through the Mother Wound Project. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you my team and I have seen and heard it all when it comes to mother-child relationships. You know, sometimes people will say, maybe you haven't dealt with this yet. No, we have. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. And all the different ways that these relationships can go wrong. And something we also hear about is the ways they can go well too. So that sometimes surprises people. So we support people who have mother wounds that stem from physical abuse, from emotional abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, and then any combination of these. We support people who grew up with helicopter moms, you know, moms who smothered their freedom and independence, Mm. all the way to moms who were neglectful to the point of being totally absent. We work with people whose moms are still living and with people whose moms have passed away. This one usually surprises people. We work with people who are in pretty good relationships with their moms, and then all the way to people who are in the process of going no contact with their mom or who have been estranged from their mom for a decade plus. Our clients' experiences are diverse, but what unites them is this deep knowing that they have been hurt by their moms, that they didn't receive what they needed from her, and that this is impacting them in big ways and ultimately holding them back from living their most fulfilled, most joyful, most wholehearted lives. Another thing people are sometimes surprised to learn is 
that while we do work with mother wound survivors as individuals, we also work with mother-child pairs who come in to heal and repair their relationship together. Mm. And I just have to tell you, Amy, this is such a cool thing to be a part of. It's definitely one of the highlights of this work that I'm so grateful to be doing. Not every mom is willing to come and hold herself accountable and put in the work to repair her relationship with her child. But the ones who are, I mean, it's just so powerful to witness. That's the kind of mom all of us should be aspiring to be. Yeah, wow. Hello, friends. Wanted to jump on to bring up one of our sponsors for this week's podcast episode with the mother wound. As you're hearing, this is a very heavy subject. It's one that comes with a lot of background, a lot of experiences. It can bring up a lot of emotions or feelings as you think about your own relationship with your mother or how you are as a mother with your own children. And we know that sometimes these types of episodes also just have that little tug, that tug at our heart that we know we need some more support. And being able to talk to friends or a supportive partner, that's excellent. But for many of us, we need professional help and we need the support and the resources and the expertise from talking with a professional counselor. And as you know, we love BetterHelp. We both have used BetterHelp in the past and I continue to use BetterHelp ongoing. They have a variety of different ways to connect from video and telephone and chat features so you can really get your questions answered in real time. So if this episode or any of our episodes have just piqued your interest in wanting to try professional therapy, you can go to betterhelp.com backslash herself and get 10% off your first month. Again, all of our listeners, betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month. Steffi, there was so much in that answer. A couple things that stood out is I remember when I was working with my therapist and I was describing some conflict with my partner now. And she goes, Amy, and not in an invalidating way, but she's like, Amy, you are very sensitive to conflict and you want to make it better right away because of the way that you were raised. I hadn't even thought that I was sensitive to conflict and wanting to make things better. But when she pointed that out, I was like, I can definitely see that. And the other thing that stood out to me is that you don't have to have your experience validated by your siblings. And I think for a lot of us that grew up with siblings, that can be a point of friction or tension. But the idea is here, guys, is that you didn't grow up with the exact same experience as your sibling. We all have our own experience and things impact us differently. So allowing each of us to have our own truth, I think is really, really important. One thing that you mentioned in your first answer, and Abby and I were talking about before the interview is the reason that we don't hear a lot about this is it feels like there's this unspoken rule that people should not talk negatively about their parents. The truth of the matter is, is that the way that we were parented impacts us and it continues to impact us even now when we're older and we're becoming parents ourselves, you know, maybe that's our journey. So I imagine Steffi, if someone has a really hard time talking about their mother wound, it might be hard to get help and it might be hard to start to heal it. Can you talk about 
how you help women overcome this barrier of not wanting to speak negatively about their own mother. Absolutely. Amy, thank you so much for saying this. There absolutely is this unspoken rule in our society that we should stay quiet about our experiences of being parented, especially about how we were being mothered. Unless, of course, this is the unless, we have happy things to say, happy, cheery things to say that portray our moms as nothing short of this ideal as loving, caring, patient, and kind. But anything outside of that, anything less than perfect, keep it quiet. And this rule to stay silent, it's powerful. So powerful, in fact, that people will often go decades, even sometimes their entire lives, without reaching out and speaking the truth about their hurtful experiences with their moms. So instead of making sense of their experiences which in many instances are traumatic, processing their feelings about those experiences and then moving forward with their lives, what happens is they stay stuck. And not because that's what's best for them, but because that's what our society has told them they should do. And yes, what you said is spot on. When someone feels they will be judged harshly for so much as acknowledging their mother wound, let alone talking about their painful experiences with her, it can be so, so hard, if not impossible, to ask for help. So when I'm sitting in a session with a brand new client and they've gotten up the courage to reach out to me so they can heal and move forward from their mother wound, I know they've already made it through half the work. And that's cause for celebration in and of itself. So what a lot of people want to know is why, you know, why do we have this rule to stay silent about how our relationships with our moms actually are, how we have actually been mothered by them? I think there are several reasons for this. For starters, our society has a really, really tough time differentiating between guilt and shame. So shame sounds like you are bad and then guilt on the other hand, sounds like you did something bad, you know, important difference. So what often happens though, is when someone says, my mom did this bad thing to me, a lot of people hear that as the adult child shaming their mom, when really what they are doing is simply recognizing her role in doing something wrong or hurtful for them. So, I mean, you can think of the whole mommy shaming conversation. And I want to be clear, sometimes people are shaming mothers, you know, telling them more or less that they are bad, terrible, no good people. But a lot of the times what happens is moms read shame where there is none. So, for example, you know, you can think about someone who says something along the lines of that car seat is not buckled correctly. You know, that person is likely to get the label of mommy shamer, not because they actually are doing any shaming of moms, but because of this confusion we have about shame and guilt. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in the society where someone isn't afraid to speak up and say, hey, that car seat should be buckled this way. So it works properly in the event of a crash, rather than in the one where people stay silent because they don't want to offend somebody. 
sometimes the only way to learn that we need to change something up or do something different is to have someone point it out to us. As hard as that can be. And then sit with our defensiveness, you know, sit with our discomfort with being wrong rather than displacing our feelings of not enoughness, because that's what's going on, onto the person who spoke up to help our kid. I heard someone say, just because you feel shame, that doesn't mean you are being shamed. I love that so much. I think it's an important reminder. It's really the absolute truth. And then another reason for this rule of staying quiet is that our society loves, I can't emphasize it enough, we love to play pretend. And I'm not talking about kids here. I'm talking about us adults. If we can tell ourselves a more pleasant, more comfy story, oh, we're going to try it. And that's true regardless of whether or not the story is true. Cognitive dissonance, confirmation bias, motivated reasonings, these are real things. And none of us are completely immune. I mean, ask the neuroscientists. So what do we do? And I think the key is to not try to live free of our biases or free of this human tendency to create false narratives. You know, this is impossible. But to be aware of these and to work to recognize and get curious about them. You know, that might sound like, so I'm believing this is how the world works. But is that actually true? Or I feel like I have to stay quiet about the fact that my mom hurt me. But is that actually true? And the truth of that second one is no, you don't have to stay silent. You own everything that has ever happened to you. And if you want to speak up about it, you are absolutely within your rights to do so. You know, just because other people are playing pretend about moms and mother child relationships. So think empty platitudes like all moms love their children. All moms want the best for their kids. All moms are gentle and kind. This doesn't mean you are obligated to play along with them. I mean, here's the truth. Some moms don't love their children. Some moms don't want the best for their kids. Some moms are not gentle and kind. Some moms are hurtful. Some moms are cruel even. And all this is true, not because moms are bad, awful, terrible people, but simply because moms are human, just like everyone else. The late Bell Hooks, she put it beautifully. She said, we like to imagine that most children will be born into homes where they will be loved. But the truth is this, you know, love is not a guarantee in any relationship at all. And, you know, mother-child relationships, they're no different. And as far as helping people to overcome this barrier goes, I have this fun exercise that I encourage them to use. Kristen Pressner is where I learned about it from. She calls it the flip it to test it. She has an excellent podcast titled, Are You Biased? Where she goes deeper into this. If you want to check it out, I recommend it. So flip it to test it. The really cool thing about this is once you get the hang of it, it's actually pretty fun and you'll find yourself using it for all sorts of things. And the goal of flip it to test it is to take something you're feeling unsure about and to swap it out with something else to see if you still feel unsure about it. Here's an example. Say you're thinking about saying to a friend, my mom was not a good mom to me. And you're wondering, is this an okay thing to say? Well, enter the flip it to test it. 
my ex was not a good partner to me. Is that an okay thing to say? You know, most people would say, yeah, that's a totally okay thing to say. And not only that, but it's something people quite literally say all the time and no one thinks anything less of them for it. So yes, from the flip it to test it, you know, we can see it is in fact okay to say my mom was not a good mom to me. And of course, you know, what's okay to say and what people think is an okay thing to say. These are two very different things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just like with anything that comes with speaking your truth and living true to yourself, it can be helpful to expect that some people will think you're out of line. Here's the thing though, you know, you are your own person. You get to decide what's right for you. Not all these other people, you know, this is your life. Don't let anyone else live it for you. And gosh, one final thing I have to say on this one, if you are seeing a therapist who is trying to steer you away from speaking honestly about your mom and how she hurt you, please, please, please find a different therapist. There are so many amazing therapists out there and you deserve to work with one who isn't upended by something as commonplace as the mother wound. Mm -hmm. I will say my therapist, she was more validating than I was to myself. So I kept saying, but, you know, here's all the great things. And I think that that's one thing that we can do a lot of times. And she was like, no, no, no. But here is also a truth I really want you to look at. So oh, this has been so good so far. And I know one thing that came in a lot when we were getting questions for you is the idea of if you should bring it to the attention of your mom or whoever caused you this hurt. So the hope there would be that she would receive it. The hope would be that maybe she's willing to work on it and to create a mother adult child relationship that is healthy, that is connected, and that's mutually fulfilling. But what we heard time and time again is that people are a very long way from that. And they almost can't even imagine that being a possibility. So I would love if you would talk about tools or resources that you have to help people that are on that journey of, should I even bring this up to her and how hurtful you know these things were? Right. Bringing a hurt to the attention of your mom and not knowing how she will respond when you do. I mean, gosh. I think a lot of people too, they already have evidence to say she's not going to receive it well. Oh, absolutely. And and you're right. This is huge for a lot of people. It's this concern, a very real concern that comes up often amongst my clients. So not only are they wondering about what exactly to say to their mom, on top of that, they're worried about how she will experience their words and ultimately what she's going to do or say in response. It's a hard position for anyone to be in, you know, for sure. When I'm thinking of this, I'm reminded of these two quotes. One is from Joshua Coleman. He's a psychologist who works with families. And another from Brene Brown. Coleman says this, directly confronting a hurtful parent takes courage. I just could not agree with him more. When I am supporting a client who is in the process of doing this with a parent, I'm always in complete and total awe of their courage. And then Brene tells us, Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. 
And this one just it gives me chills every time I hear it. Speaking your truth to a mother who has hurt you, that takes profound courage. And no, it's probably not going to feel comfortable, but it absolutely, most definitely is not weakness. Sadly, the truth is that for way too many people, their courage to say anything along the lines of, mom, you did this that hurt me, is not received well by their mom at all. Rather than taking them seriously, you know, thanking them for sharing their truth and using this as an opportunity to right wrongs and forge a mother-child connection that is more healthy, more authentic, more fulfilling. These moms, what I have come to call head-in-the-sand moms, they turn away from their kids physically, emotionally, and sometimes both. Taking things personally that are, in fact, not personal at all. You know, this is such a big hallmark of the mother wound. And so something I teach my clients is how to recognize when their mom is choosing to push them away. You know, I don't want them to blame themselves for something that is not theirs to carry. And I'll share some of these here. Some of the most common ways hurtful moms push their courageous kids away include shaming, So this might sound like a mom responding to her daughter's pain by saying something like, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you're speaking to your own mother like this. And the goal here is to shift the daughter's focus onto herself and away from her mom who hurt her in the first place. Another one is gaslighting. There's a lot of talk these days about gaslighting, (laughs) not near enough talk about moms who gaslight. So a mom who's gaslighting, she might say something along the lines of, I never even did that. You're remembering it all wrong. When a mom gaslights, whether she's conscious of it or not, what she's trying to do is create doubt and confusion in her child's mind to shift the focus away from herself and away from her actions. And then people who are being gaslit by their mom, what happens is they often begin to doubt their own memories, their own experiences, their own feelings. So they might be thinking things like, maybe I am remembering it all wrong. Maybe it wasn't that bad after all. And then tone policing is another one that comes up all the time. Moms who push their children away by tone policing, they sometimes sound like, well, if you didn't have so much anger in your voice, you know, then I'd be willing to have this conversation with you. And the purpose here is very similar you know, again, moms who are tone policing, what they're doing is they're attempting to shift the focus away from themselves and the choices they have made onto how their child feels about their choices. And here's something I like to remind people of, you know, the problem never was how you felt about the choice your mom made and always about the choice your mom made. Just because she wants to pretend as though how you feel or how she thinks you feel, that doesn't mean you need to pretend along with her. What happened to you was wrong, and that's all there is to it. You're allowed to feel how you feel about that. And then playing the victim, this is a huge, huge one. That one Um, came in a bunch, a bunch. (laughs) I'm not surprised, Amy. My work on the mother wound has taught me that this is the single most common response amongst moms who cause the mother wound when their child gets up the courage to speak their truth about how her mothering has impacted them. 
So sometimes a mom will play the victim right then and there in front of her child. This might sound like, how can you say something like this to me? Your own mom, you know, after all I did for you, I'm so sad you are treating me like this, you know, as if the problem is them coming and saying about their hurt. The translation is, you know, poor me, I'm the real victim here. But then other times, a mom who's playing the victim will do so when her child is not present. Because if they were, they could share what actually happened. So this looks like the mom who goes to her mom, so her or child's grandparent, and says something like, my daughter is being so cruel to me. She said horrible, awful things to me. And now I'm so heartbroken. Now I am so hurt. The idea here is to shift the focus away from her, away from her hurtful choices, because that's way more comfortable than directly recognizing the reality of how her choices have impacted her child. And then here's the real kicker. If other people in the broader family or social circle, if they can be convinced that the mom is the victim, if they can be convinced that she is the party that was hurt, and this happens all the time. What happens is they are much less likely to take anything the child would say about how they were hurt by her seriously. And then the last one I'll share about, just for the sake of time, is blame shifting. But just know there are many other ways I didn't get to them all for moms to push their kids away. So blame shifting, this is all about transferring accountability away from the mom and onto someone or something else. It's the classic... I only did it because they told me to. So blame shifting can show up in lots of different ways. But some of the most common versions I hear are things like, I did that because the doctor slash book slash, you know, insert here, some other authority figure said to, or I raised you that way because I was raised that way. Or I only did that because you were such a difficult kid. Or I had no choice because I didn't have enough support, help, time, energy, you know, on and on and on. But the truth is simple. Doing something that hurts someone else is actually never okay. And that's regardless of your situation when you hurt them. And a break to tell you guys about an amazing new service called FrameBridge. So FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame some of your favorite things. And you don't ever have to leave the house in order to do so. So you can add a gallery wall to your home office. You can send the perfect gift to a friend or family member. Really anything from art prints and diplomas to the photos that you have sitting on your phone. You can FrameBridge just about anything. So you might be wondering, how does this work? All you have to do is go to framebridge.com, upload your photo, and you can also use the option to send you packaging to safely mail in the physical pieces if that's the route that you're going. After previewing your item online, there are dozens of different styles and wall layouts that you can pull in. So choose your favorite or you can even get a free recommendation, you guys, from their talented designers. The experts at Framebridge will also custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door. It's ready to hang as soon as you get it. So instead of the hundreds of dollars that you'll pay at framing stores, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, our listeners get an extra 15% off their first order at framebridge.com by using the code HERSELF. So you can order online or you can stop by any Framebridge location and work with a designer in person if you're in New York, D.C., Atlanta, Philly, Boston, or Chicago. 
So we just put an order in. We're sprucing up the office with a few photos and just can't wait to see how all the finishing touches come together. So again, go to framebridge.com and use promo code HERSELF to save an additional 15% off your first order. Again, Framebridge, F-R-A-M-E-B-R-I-D-G-E.com with promo code HERSELF. That last one kind of gets to a question that came in too, is that generational cycle, that generational pattern. If your mom was maybe hurt by her mom and you guys have some unhealthy patterns in your family, one listener asked, how do I break this cycle? Like a lot of this has come up for people now that they have become mothers themselves they might recognize their hurt more because they think like, how could she have done this? But also overwhelmingly, a lot of us want to do better. And we're saying, Steffi, how do I do that? Yeah. Breaking generational cycles. I mean, Amy, you are so right. This is where it's at for so many of us these days. And it's really a very bittersweet thing. You know, parenting, it's hard enough as it is. But then parenting after a childhood that was less than great, you know, that's a whole nother thing entirely. There's this quote, again, Brene, I love her. She says, (laughs) (laughs) I figured, she says, somewhere very deep inside our hopes and our fears for our children is the, and she uses the word terrifying, is the terrifying truth that there is no such thing as perfect parenting. And I mean, she nails it. And here's the hard truth. You know, we can't begin to show up differently for our own kids if we're still pretending to be perfect people with perfect childhoods who parent perfectly 100% of the time. You know, if we haven't taken the time to take a long, hard look at how we ourselves were mothered, we aren't going to be breaking any generational cycles. Mm. What we know from the research is that we will parent our children the same way we were parented. You know, in other words, we'll just repeat the cycle. And this part is the good news that I hold on to, unless we commit to recognizing the ways our parents miss the mark for us. And we consciously decide to make a consistent effort to do differently. But if we aren't willing to go there to look honestly at and face what didn't work in our own childhoods, And believe me, you know, none of us had that 100% perfect childhood, then we can't make changes moving forward. And my work has really shown me that there are two sorts of people. One is willing to put in the work it takes to see their childhood for what it really was. You know, these are the people who take rose-colored glasses off, they face the bumps and the pain spots, and they ultimately work to break generational cycles so that they can do better for their kids. And then there are the ones that need to pretend their childhood was perfect because the alternative is just way too scary. So think the people who say things like, my mom was the perfect mother. I could never say anything bad about her. Or I needed to be spanked as a kid. That's how I learned. These are the people who don't get introspective. And so what happens is they pass whatever happened to them right on down to their kids. Pain travels through families until someone is willing to feel it, until someone is willing to face it, 
it really is as easy and as difficult as that. All of us carry within us one form of intergenerational pain or another. And on a deep level, we know it's there. And we also know this pain isn't just sitting there dormant. You know, we know it's showing up in our own parenting. How could it not be? So, you know, then we have a decision. What's it going to be? Are we going to make the choice to turn towards it, to feel it, to heal it? Or are we going to make the choice to turn away from it, to ignore it, and ultimately to perpetuate it? I know I can't convince everyone to make the choice to examine their childhoods and break the cycles that need breaking. But what I can say is that the people who do decide to do that, the ones who choose to be that person in their family, you know, the one who stands up and faces the pain. And I have had the privilege of getting to know hundreds of these people through my work. These people are the bravest, most courageous people out there. They've taught me that what happened to us, it does not define us. It's how we decide to respond that matters. And then from here, after you've decided to face the truth about your childhood, about how your mom mothered you, you know, you know you want to do differently for your children. Then your next step is to surround yourself with supportive people and evidence-based resources. This work of breaking cycles, it's hard. So you definitely aren't going to want to do it alone. So the supportive people for you, they might be a close friend. You know, they get it because they're also trying to heal intergenerational trauma. It might be an online parenting community where the focus is on parenting without things like shame and punishment. Or it could be a therapist who is trauma-informed and well-versed in attachment theory. And then if you're already working with a mother wound aware therapist or planning to, that's amazing because this is exactly in their wheelhouse. You can just let them know that you want to address this aspect of your mother wound, you know, that you are parenting after the mother wound and you want to do differently. And then for resources, I could give you enough resources or book (laughs) recommendations to bury your bedside table, Amy. (laughs) But my top five picks that I'm recommending all the time to people who are in this specific situation of parenting after the mother wound, they are number one, all about love by the late Bell Hooks, Unconditional Parenting by Elfie Cohn, What Happened to You, and this is a newer one, this is by Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, and then Why Won't You Apologize, that's by psychotherapist Harriet Lerner, and last but definitely not least, Daring Greatly by Brene. Oh, one more thing I have to add. If you're a parent or hope to be a parent someday in the future, and this part has been speaking to you, I encourage you, grab a post-it and write this quote down. It's amazing. It's by Harriet Lerner. It's one of my favorites. I have it up in my house. Okay, here's how it goes. She says, our kids are the major benefactors of the work we do on our own selves. Oh, I just love that one. It just doesn't get any truer than that. So, you know, now when you have it on your post-it, you can take your little, I like to call it your encouragement post-it and stick it somewhere like bathroom mirror, bedside table, where you're going to see it. And just please remember this, you are doing such important work. So don't forget to be kind to yourself and to celebrate every bit of important progress that you make along the way. Stephanie, I have to say, we love the same people. I'm such a fan of Harriet and all of her work. 
and along with some other people that you mentioned there. But I think that's really the crux of it is that we live in a very child-centered world right now. You go onto Instagram, everyone's trying to learn how to parent the best way that they can. And I think where we are missing the mark a little bit is that we have to really focus in on who we are, healing maybe what we've been through, understanding we have things to work on. And that's how you're going to show up as the parent you want to be if you're able to make progress on yourself. And I don't know, I just wish that people understood that better. And it's something that I have definitely worked on myself. This interview has gone entirely too fast because we had so much more we wanted to cover, but I do want to end on this one. It's a quote that I saw on your Instagram account. And it says, if you haven't felt like you belong in your own family, it can be hard to imagine belonging with anyone else. The impacts of our feelings of belongingness impact our relationships as we go on into adulthood. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Of course, Amy, I'm happy to. I remember the day I wrote that. I'd been doing some reading. I think I had picked up Daring Greatly by Brene, probably for the eighth time. And this one particular part, it really stuck out to me. And I have it here with me because I just want to read it exactly as it is. It's a longer one, but I just want to say it exactly as she said it. Okay, here it is. So Brene writes, from the very beginning of my research on shame, I've always collected data on parenting and paid close attention to how research participants talked about being parented and about parenting. The reason is simple. Our stories of worthiness, of being enough, begin in our first families. The narrative certainly doesn't end there. What we learn about ourselves and how we learn to engage with the world as children sets a course that either will require us to spend a significant part of our life fighting to reclaim our self-worth or will give us hope, courage, and resilience for our journey. This is so good and so true. I love how she says that our stories of worthiness, of being enough, you know, these begin in our first families, you know, and I read that that day and I just sat there probably, you know, for several minutes in silence. I think it's simultaneously both so true and so scary all at the same time. You know, if we receive the message from our caregivers that we are worthy, that we are enough, that we do belong, that we are lovable, that's great. But what about when we don't? You know, what then? What happens when we grew up with parents who taught us we aren't worthy, that we are either too much or not enough, that we don't belong, that we aren't lovable? You know, what happens then? And well, I think what happens is we take these hurtful messages deep into ourselves and we believe them to be the truth. You know, parents are supposed to tell us the truth, right? And so we carry them within us into our adult lives where they continue to weigh us down and, you know, ultimately keep us from knowing who we really are and what we're really worth. It's tragic. But thankfully, the story does not need to end there. For those of us who at no fault of our own receive these soul-crushing messages from our mothers, our fathers, our parents, who, yes, they were hurting themselves, but they never should have displaced their own pain, their own traumas, 
their own unhealed wounds from childhood and beyond onto us. You know, we never deserved that. So, you know, of course, the big question is, how do we take the story from there? You know, where do we go? And my work over these past five years, coupled with my own journey of healing my own mother wound, has taught me um, that what Brene references here is, in fact, exactly what we need to do. We need to reclaim ourselves. If I could summarize healing the mother wound in one word, you know, that would be it, reclaim. And to do this, we need to remember we are the authors of our stories. You know, the final chapters, they have not been written. And we are not defined by what happened to us, but by who we are and how we choose to respond. Mm, that was so beautiful. Well, we have enormous respect for what you're doing. And we were so happy when we found your account. We knew we wanted to cover this subject and we found the perfect person to do it. So you are fierce, you are brave, and you are making such a big difference in this world, Steffi. So please tell our listeners more about where they can find you. Thank you so much, Amy. You and Abby both are powerful examples of what it means to live meaningful lives by choosing courage over comfort each and every day. Spending this time with you, it's been just amazing. And I'm so thankful that you took the time to have this important and so often silent, as we talked about, conversation. Your work, your voices are so needed in this world. And I'm super excited to see where your journey continues to take you to. I invite anyone who wants to learn more about intergenerational trauma, the mother wound, and the mother wound project to dive in. You know, now is the time. Give yourself the care and the healing you need and deserve. For starters, you can join our community over on Instagram. You can find all 41,000 of us and counting by searching for at Mother Wound Project there. We're also active on Facebook and Pinterest. Just search Mother Wound Project and we'll show up. And then if you are someone who needs more in-depth and immediate help, please know, first of all, you are not alone and healing is possible. You know, all you need is the right support. And to pursue mother wound counseling, this is best for those who want individualized support. You can reserve your one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions with me. I do them by voice or video just by heading over to motherwoundproject.com slash counseling. If I'm not currently taking new clients, you can either hop on my wait list or head over to Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash MWP members. And that's where you can join our amazing mother wound healing community. You'll get same day access to, gosh, at this point, over 150 hours worth of mother wound healing workshops that really give you the tools you need to start healing now. And then plus, on top of that, the new ones that I'm hosting every month. And I think that about covers it. Thank you again so much for having me. Of course, you guys, this was such an important episode. So if it spoke to you, if you could send it on, whether that's through a text message, if you are so courageous to share it in your story and tag both of us, we would love if you helped us spread this word.